Hey, Seth. Happy last day of April. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a good April. You know, on the first day of April, we lie to each other and justify it by calling it pranks. <laughs> what should we do on the last day of April as kind of the counter to that? Should we, like, brutally tell the Did, truth? That's what I'm thinking. You have to tell the truth just okay. constantly. Like, the whole truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, here's the first opportunity for you to do that. What would you do in this particular situation? The question, Seth, is simple. Would you want to fish naked or swim clothed? Okay, I'm going just with my gut, swim clothed. Oh, yeah? Because I just think, like, being naked would be strange altogether. And also, like, I'm not very good at fishing. So, like, that's just two hits against that one. But at least if I'm close, like, I don't know. After it gets wet, it's kind of a wash. But then, like, I just have to swim. Yeah. I'm committed. Yeah, I mean, guess technically most of the time I swim clothed anyway. Like, the vast, vast majority of the time. (laughs) I'm just thinking about, maybe I should have been more specific. It's like fish naked or swim in jeans or like all denim (laughs) which is essentially asking if you want to drown (laughs) yeah true True. but i think the problem i have with the concept of modern fishing naked is just very simple fish hooks yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i think i'm with you i would go with swim clothed and interestingly enough both of these things are going to show up in our passage for today so, Seth, we've got a little bit longer of a passage today, so we've split it up a little bit. So why don't you go ahead and read the first part of John 21 to get us started today. I'd love that. This is John 21, verses 1 through 19 from the Amplified Bible. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he did it in this way. Simon Peter... And Thomas, who was called Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, as well as John and James, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said, And we are coming with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. As morning was breaking, Jesus came and stood on the beach. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish to eat along with your bread? They answered, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great catch of fish. Then that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer tunic and threw himself into the sea and swam ashore. But the other disciples came in the small boat, for they were not far off from shore, only about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire set up and fish on it cooking and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to land, 
full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew without any doubt that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples, after he had risen from the dead. All right. Halftime pause. <laughs> it's time for the halftime show. Seth, let's quickly recap the story so far, including anything that really stood out to you along the way. So we've got we've got the disciples all together. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, but also kind of in the mystery of his resurrection. And what what's going on? Tell us what you read. Okay. Well, it strikes me that these men were fishermen and they're just like back to their job so they're like what are we gonna do let's go fishing and everybody's like okay you know let's go but then they're they're fishing for like what seems like hours i guess and they don't catch anything until they see this man on the beach who tells them like you got to put the net on the other side of the boat and they do, and then they get like a, like a ton of them. And then they realize, oh, this dude on the beach isn't just some rando guy. <laughs> Peter's like, it's the Lord. And that's when Simon Peter throws on his outer tunic, because he was naked, and jumps in the water and starts <laughs> swimming. And then they get to the beach, and they're like unloading the fish for breakfast. Yeah. Peter swims on his own. He's so excited, leaving his dudes to bring this huge haul of fish back to shore by themselves. Everybody else is like, dude, like, gotta stay in the boat and help. Yeah. Then, again, we see, as we see in some of the other Gospels, that alongside Jesus giving the disciples something to eat, they knew who it was, which I just think is so, so powerful. Okay. So I think we've got a good understanding of this moment. And I wanted to pause here too to kind of set up the second part of this reading, which is a little shorter, which I'm sure our listeners will be grateful for. But we use the Amplified Bible today because the Amplified Bible does this really interesting thing of kind of like trying to incorporate its translation process into the finished product of the translation. And so if you look up the Amplified Bible for a passage, you'll see brackets and parentheses. Sometimes you'll see different words that could be used in a situation or synonyms. And I thought that was really important for this next passage because many, many folks might be familiar with how this back and forth between Jesus and Peter involves them using the word love a lot. And it's really important. But I think sometimes we miss out on a little bit of this story. And this translation helps us get into some of those nuances. So, Seth, let's go second half. Let's jump back in to John 21. Picking up at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? With total commitment and devotion. 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with total commitment and devotion? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. And Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep personal affection for me? As for a close friend. Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, Do you really love me with a deep personal affection? As for a close friend. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with a deep personal affection. As for a close friend. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and walked wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and arms, and someone else will dress you and carry you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Walk the same path of life that I have walked. Great. Thanks, Seth. We've got... A fascinating story here. Honestly, one of my favorites in all of scripture. And I want us to revisit this story briefly from Peter's perspective. I mean, it's pretty clear that he's a main character here. And think about what Peter's gone through. Peter's been following this guy around, Jesus. He's been trusting in him. He's been thinking all these things are going to happen. And all of a sudden, everything that he thought to be true was taken from him. And in the aftermath of all of this, he's sitting around with his friends. And like you, you suggested, too, I'm just picturing him being so flustered. Just saying, like, I'm tired of sitting here. I'm going fishing. And everyone's just like, okay, we need to do something. Can you imagine how long that night would have been without catching a single thing? <laughs> going out to fish in frustration and just pulling in nothing, pulling in seaweed... And then all of a sudden, the whirlwind of emotions that's enduring through the night kind of comes to the head when this stranger on the shore says, Hey, do you have any fish? I bet Peter was pretty pissed. Yes. <laughs> no. And then this guy on the shore has the audacity to suggest that he, after getting a good night's sleep, after they'd been out all night, this stranger just says, Try it on the other side. And what surely started is just indignation turned to utter joy as Peter leaps into the sea to come back to the shore once he realizes it's Jesus. Here's where the story gets really interesting. You know, I know you and I have talked about how John is like this high-level literary work of beautiful writing. <laughs> it's so intricate. It's full of like long expositions and long theological reflections. This is one of, I think, the most powerful literary moments in, in John's gospel. Same one who was denying Jesus three times around a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest. 
now in the only other mention of a charcoal fire in all of the New Testament <laughs> is being invited by the one he denied, being restored in an invitation to love. Hmm. And it's just so powerful. I don't know if you remember uh, when we were in college, someone we love very much, Evie Telfer, preached on this passage. And it's one of the few sermons in my life that will never leave me. And it's partly for that reason, you know, that thinking of how fragrances bring about memories for us and thinking about what Peter must have been thinking as he got out of the water so sopping wet and smelled that charcoal fire and flashed back to that night where he denounced and denied everything he held dear and denounced and denied the person he loved who was sitting there in front of him. And then Jesus licking his fingers that are probably greasy from the fish they were eating for breakfast, just says, <laughs> Peter, do you love me? And we get into this exchange, and Seth, I'm curious, this is a relatively popular conversation. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about this distinction, but have you heard of the idea of the four loves in the Bible? You know, I've heard of them. I'm not that familiar with them, if I'm honest. Like, I'm kind of most familiar with agape love. This long, endless love that's, you know, that's from God and for God. So I'm probably most familiar with that. And then I don't know what this says about me, but then I'm also familiar with, like, the Greeks, like, like erotic love. Eros, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, then I'm like, oh, and there's those two other ones in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you got two of them for sure. There are four words that are translated into English as love from the Greek that are used among other places in the New Testament. You got agape, which is the word most often used to describe God's love. It's unconditional, unending. Eros, which you also mentioned, it's the root of the word erotic. But I would say it's, it's more of a love of passion. It doesn't necessarily have to have sexual undertones, though it can. There are a couple others, too. There's storge, which is a, a type of familial love, maybe the bond mm -hmm. between family members or parents and children. And then there's one that might hit a little bit closer to home for you. There's phileo kind of love, which is the love among siblings. It's the root of Philadelphia, which is literally two Greek words smashed together yeah. <laughs> and anglicized, meaning literally the city of brotherly love. And so these words for love come into play, and they're suggested by what you read, how you read it from the Amplified Bible. And it gets at a little bit more nuance in the conversation than we often get when we just hear Jesus asking, do you love me? And Peter saying, you know I love you. <laughs> and then yeah. Peter getting really disappointed because he asked him again. Essentially, the exchange the first two times looks exactly the same. Jesus is actually saying, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, you know, Lord, that I phileo you. And do you hear that struggle? <laughs> that struggle of hearing the standard and knowing, at least believing, that you can't meet it? And so this exchange happens twice. That's the first two exchanges. It's just like that. And then the third one, Jesus changes the question and says, Peter, do you phileo me? Hmm. And that's why Peter is grieved. Because 
the question has changed. Mm-hmm. And Peter's response is kind of more exuberant. It says, Lord, you know everything. Yes, I phileo you. And after all that, Jesus still gives the same invitation to feed his sheep and the same invitation to follow him and live the kind of life and ultimately die the kind of death that he did. The only word that comes to mind is how poetic this passage is. It's almost too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> right? The yeah. like the parallel structures, the the fragrance of the charcoal fire. It's like what's it was one of those moments in that service when Evie was preaching that just like unlocked something new about the scripture for me. Like there's so much more here than I could ever realize. But what about this stands out to you? Like, what about how this story takes shape just resonates with you the most? You mentioned this just briefly, but I, I love the structure where Peter denies Jesus three times. And then in this passage, he asks him, you know, do you love me? Three times too. Like, just like you were saying, like, it's so, it's so poetic seems you know too perfect of a way to bring Peter back in to the fold to restore him it's just beautiful just like you were saying i love how peter's denial and jesus questions are parallel yeah me too i really think i've said enough and want to transition <laughs> to more of a conversation seth that's reflected around a single question does grace change the standard? Hmm. I think this story is one of the most profound examples of Jesus extending grace and compassion. Of reflecting to us the love of a God who is willing to be killed. To proclaim the good news they've come to proclaim. And when faced with someone who denied them someone who claimed to love them, Jesus meets Peter right where he is. He highlights a standard that maybe he wants. Maybe you could even say Peter should be there. (laughs) We often say people should be at that point, but Jesus changes the question. And so in these moments of radical love, what changes? Does the standard change? Does grace change the standard? From our passage, I have to say, yes. Yeah, I just wonder if grace isn't somehow antithetical to the standard. Like if we don't want to have like a certain bar you have to hit. And I just wonder if grace doesn't pick up the bar and throw it on the other side of the boat or something. I don't know. (laughs) I just wonder if grace doesn't just completely obliterate the standards that we've set and say, uh, you know, that that's not important to me. I love you reflecting on the, uh, the throwing the net on the other side is like a metaphor for what's going on here. It's like, we're trying so hard to measure up. We work all night. We're frustrated. We're tired. We're naked. We're cold. We're hungry. 
and Jesus just says, try this instead. <laughs> and it's real easy to like jump to something that I think might not be good news there, but it feels like, I don't know, it feels like so, so often, I mean, we're so stuck in binaries, right? And we're so, so stuck on linear scales. It's like, we're over here and good or godliness or Christ hmm. is over here. And it's like, how do we move along that line, along that path? And it feels like in this situation, Jesus just picks up that two-dimensional scale and looks at it square down the barrel <laughs> and sees the goodness of God's image in us right alongside us, no matter where we might perceive ourselves along hmm. that scale to begin with. Part of what always gets me about this story, what I always think is so profound too it's like what we know about peter's life at least what tradition holds about peter's life after this he can't say like i love you with total commitment and devotion but he'll be martyred he's considered the first pope like he gives his whole life for jesus for the gospel he couldn't commit to that on the beach eating breakfast but he could commit to a deep personal affection as for a close friend I just think like what's what hits me is how grace can help us grow too from one into the other from what, phileo to agape? Or maybe I should say toward agape, if we yeah. never get there. It's it's astounding that you know grace changes these standards and yet makes those things that were once impossible standards now at least within the realm of possibility. And yet God's grace does not make achieving that or pursuing that or accomplishing that it's not a precondition for welcome and belonging and being called beloved. Gosh. Hmm. I just love this story <laughs> so much. I can tell. It's coming through. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you talked about grace. It gets rid of the prerequisites. But then I always say that grace helps us to love Others, people, the environment, fish, our pets, God, of course. It's kind of auto-magically. When grace works on us, it helps us and trains us to love all those people and things just instinctively not to say we do it perfectly all the time but it's a process yeah of learning to do it and it draws out what i would call a ability to do it that is woven into the very fabric of who we are yeah i think that's exactly it it's auto magic auto magic i just pray that we can we can pay attention for how grace may be compelling to do some of that. So can I pray for us, Seth? I'd love that.
right? Let's pray. God of love, we give you thanks for always agape-ing us. And for the grace when all we can muster for you, for each other, and for your creation is a little bit of phileo. <laughs> Help us to know that no matter what our love looks like or what condition it is in, you welcome us with open arms in a never-ending embrace. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who enjoyed a breakfast of fish and bread on the coast of the Sea of Galilee with his friends, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I loved that episode. But next week, we're back in John. We're looking at Jesus at the festival of the dedication and people asking him if he is the Christ. But until then, thanks for being with us. And thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Can you imagine how long that night would have been without catching a single thing, going out to fish in frustration, and just pulling in nothing, pulling in seaweed, I don't know, pulling in plastic water bottles, probably. (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs)